So now we're going to read together from Matthew chapter 6, then we're going to pray again over our time in the Word, and then we'll jump into understanding this important instruction from the Lord Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Let's pray together one more time. God, we thank you for this word, this invitation to not be anxious because we can trust you. God, I pray over the next few minutes that you would set us free from love of material things and that you would free us to love you more dearly and more truthfully and more closely. God, I pray that we would love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind today. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Worry has a tendency of invading and infecting every aspect of our lives. I remember last summer, I was sitting in worship service, listening to Pastor Thomas preach from Exodus 34, and, and I, I was so distracted by several things that I was worried about that day, and I remember just thinking like, okay, what if this happens, and what if this happens, what if this happens, what if this person gets sick, and what if that person gets COVID, and then what's going to happen? I was just so anxious, I realized I wasn't listening to anything that was being said in 
the sermon, and maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're already worried about all the troubles that are going to come to you this week that you've already decided to check out, and I want to encourage you, don't do that because the Lord has hope for you today. And what I remembered that day is we could answer our what-ifs with, or the Lord might be kind and gracious and merciful, and the Lord used his word in that moment to encourage me and to save me from that worry, to set me free so that I would be able to serve him. And so instead of saying, what if I get sick, I was able to say, what if the Lord is kind? And I believe that's what God wants to do in your heart today, in your life today, to, to take all of the worry out of your mind and to replace it with the Lord is kind. We feel anxious often because we don't properly understand our relationship with the material things in this world, or because we don't properly understand our relationship with the God who created this material world. And that God wants to free you today from all of your worry and anxiety about material things. Not by saying that material things are bad. That's not what God says to you. He does not say material things are bad, but rather he says today that they are not best. They're not what you were created for. And so if you live for material things, of course you'll always be anxious about them because they were never made to uphold the weight of your soul. Things always malfunction when used for an improper purpose. And the material things in this life will malfunction if you set your hope on to them. So we don't need to worry because the God who created and owns everything that you can see is gracious and kind to give. The God who owns everything that you can see is gracious to give everything that you need. We read this earlier in our service, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's given you the gift of his son. How foolish of us to ever presume that he would withhold any good thing from us that we need. Because God has not just said that he loves you, he has shown that he loves you in the gift of his son. And so we start here so that you can know and trust the character of the God who is about to speak to you. Don't be anxious. Don't love money. You can trust his character because he hasn't just said that he loves you. He has shown that he loves you in the gift of his son. So the main idea I want you to take home today is that the true disciple treasures God, not material things. We are so tempted to believe that stuff and comfort in this life is what will truly make us happy and what will truly make us blessed. But we've been studying over the last few months in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus lays out a radically different plan for the good life or the blessed life. And it's a plan, it, 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 Jesus is teaching us that the good life is not found by protecting yourself and by amassing provisions and material things that you think will make you happy, but Jesus is actually teaching us that the true path to blessedness is laying your life down so that you can be raised to life 
in him. So we need to better understand God and the world that he created in order to be set free from our love of money and material things and our worry about money and material things. So the first thing we'll see from Jesus today is don't live for material things. Jesus teaches his disciples that we're not made to live for material things because you are made to live for more. You are made to live for God. You are made to live to serve God by serving others. And that's what the people who treasure God, the people who love God more than anything else, that's what they do. They serve God by serving others. So Jesus begins this section on the Sermon on the Mount with three instructions about how, how true disciples relate to money and material things. And Jesus sets up for us the, a series of three competing images, three battles for your heart that Jesus is going to describe here. So the first one is treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. And from that, Jesus is going to teach us, don't love money. Don't love money. Verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So when Jesus is talking about people who build up and store up treasures on earth, he's talking about people that live for material things and live to, to amass wealth and amass comfort for themselves. Now, all of us have money and some of us love money. How can you tell the difference? How can you tell if you just have money or if you treasure money, if you love money? Well, the difference is what do you want to use that money for? Do you want to use it for self-protection? As if, oh, if my account's big enough, then I don't have to worry. Do you want to use it for self-fulfillment? Oh, if my account's big enough, I can have whatever I want. Or do you want to use it to serve others? If you're holding your money so tightly that you can't use it to serve others, then friends, you love money. And Jesus says that it's complete foolishness to love money because if you store up treasures on earth, no matter how good the bank's insurance is, moth and rust will destroy all of the treasures that we amass for ourselves here. And thieves will break in and steal. So it's utter foolishness to live to amass material possessions here on the earth because those things are all going to pass away. You ever heard the story about how Ancient kings, especially in places like Egypt, would, would be buried with their finest treasures and all of the best of their riches and the best of their wine, even the best of their wives and animals would be buried with them because they believed everything that was in their tomb they could take to the afterlife with them. And, you know, we're very enlightened people, and we kind of think that's a little silly. Like, well, of course you're not going to get to take those things that just happen to be in the room with you to the afterlife, but we live the same way. We live with the same foolishness, even more foolish, because even though we know we can't take things with us to the next life, we still spend this life trying to amass treasures on earth that are just going to pass away. We're even more foolish than those old kings. I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul on the back, people like to say. So Jesus is teaching us don't love money, but instead, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see the repetition between verse 19 and 20. He says the same thing, but he flips it. He reverses it to show that there's a better place to keep your treasures. There's a better thing to give your heart to. So instead of living for treasures on earth, live for treasures in heaven. For, verse 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. This is a huge theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen it again and again. Jesus lifts up this comparison between heaven and earth. And his point in doing that is not just to to speculate on spiritual ideas, but instead to promise you that the people who deny the passing pleasures of this world will inherit infinitely greater pleasures in the next. So Jesus says, don't love money. So that leads to a natural question. What should we do with our money? We should give it generously. Number two, don't hoard money. Jesus paints another comparison here between a whole eye or a healthy eye and an evil eye or a bad eye. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Those are a tricky couple of verses to understand because there's a lot of cultural images in them that Jesus is using that we aren't familiar with. We don't use those same expressions today. So before we really dive into these two verses, I want you to just see the most basic reality about them, that there's a connection between what happens inside of you and what happens outside of you. Jesus says here that the eye is like a mirror to soul, and what's happening in your heart will control what you do on the outside. What you love will always control your actions, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But there's a deeper meaning here that we can get if we understand some of the cultural images that Jesus is using. Because he's using two idioms, two phrases that had a common meaning in Jesus' culture that don't mean what they look like on face value. You know, for instance, you know, it's been thinking about raining all day outside this morning, and maybe it'll end up pouring, and we might say, this evening when you come back for Second Sunday Prayer, we might say, man, it really rained cats and dogs this afternoon. It doesn't mean that there were actual pets falling from the sky. It means that it rained really hard. That's an idiom. It's a cultural expression. And if somebody came to our country from somewhere else, they would have no idea what they were talking about. And they were wondering if they should have, like, left dog food outside or something. Um, It's an idiom. It's a cultural expression. And Jesus is using two very common idioms here in this passage. He talks about a healthy eye. And he talks about an evil eye or a bad eye. So start there with the evil eye in verse 23. Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what on earth is an evil eye or a bad eye? Well, it's an an expression from Jesus' day about people that looked, eye, looked at themselves 
and protected themselves, but looked down on others and refused to share with others. They looked at themselves with pride, looked at others with stinginess. So in other words, it's an image of greed. If someone has an evil eye, they're a greedy person. The Old Testament uses this expression. In Deuteronomy 15, Moses was instructing God's people about how to treat the poor in their land. And here's what he says. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Take care lest your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. There's an evil eye that causes people to look at one another with greed and stinginess instead of kindness and generosity. Jesus uses this same image. One of Jesus's famous parables was the parable of the laborers. And there was a group of workers that came to work for a farmer at nine in the morning. And the farmer said, hey, you, you know, you work the whole day. I'll give you one day's wage. And then there was another group of people that came at noon. And the farmer said, hey, you work the rest of the day. I'll give you one day's wage. And there was a group of people that came at four o'clock right before the workday ended. And he said, hey, you work the rest of the day. I'll give you one day's wage. And so when the people came to get their wages at the end of the day, the people that came at 4 o'clock came, they got one day's wage. The people that came at noon came, they got one day's wage. The people that came at 9 a.m. were all like, you know, poking each other in the side and be like, man, they got a whole day's wage for just an hour or two of work? Like, man, we are going to be loaded today. And, and they gave, the, the farmer gave them one day's wage just as he had promised. And those workers were a little miffed. They were like, well, you know, like that guy only worked an hour and I've been sweating all day, didn't even take a lunch break. And the farmer says, Jesus, Jesus uh, quotes this farmer in Matthew chapter 20, don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? And our English Bibles kind of gloss over that. But if you were to turn there, turn to Matthew chapter 20, a few pages over, you might see a footnote in your Bible that says the literal question that that farmer is asking is, is your eye evil, semicolon, an idiom for jealousy or stinginess? So when Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, he's condemning a selfish, greedy heart. And he's saying, if you're greedy, if you're stingy, if, if your eye is evil, then, oh boy, the inside of you is messed up because our actions are always controlled by our hearts. He's condemning a selfish heart that fights for self while neglecting others. A stingy heart that looks to protect one's self and looks down on others with greed. And if that's your situation, how great is the darkness, he says in verse 23. If you have greed in your heart, your whole self is a mess. So Jesus is telling you today, don't hoard money. But there's another image here of a healthy eye or a whole eye. And the whole eye is the opposite of the evil eye. It's an eye that's healthy. It's an eye that looks towards others willing to meet their needs, willing to give what the Lord has provided to you. And if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
So don't close your eyes to the needs of others. Jesus teaches us don't love money, don't hoard money, and number three, don't serve money. He uses another image of a battle here. You will either serve God or you will serve mammon. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now again, our English Bibles tend to smooth that verse over a little bit, and they, they translate the word mammon into money. Now, now, the New Testament was written mostly in Greek, and Jesus here doesn't use a Greek word for money. He uses an Aramaic word, mammon. So why is he doing that? It's like he just changes the, uh, he changes the language all of a sudden. It would be like if I was talking to you, it would be like, you are my good friend, you are my buddy, you are my pal, you are my amigo. Why would I change language all of a sudden? To draw some attention to it, to really point out, like, you are my friend. I'm not letting you go. And so he, he uses the image of mammon to kind of paint a picture of, uh, to, to, to personify money as this evil monster. Like mammon, it just sounds gross. It sounds evil. It sounds like this monster that's prowling around, begging for your heart, ready to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, you could serve that monster, mammon. You could serve money. Or you could serve God, but you can't serve both. It's impossible to have two top priorities. You just can't. And that's the picture that he's painting here. A servant who says to one master, you are number one in my life. I will serve you all of my days. No matter what anyone else says or asks for, I will meet your needs. And then he turns around and says the same thing to another master. Well, those masters, friends, have conflicting agendas. You cannot serve both God and money. I read something interesting on the internet uh, a few months ago. This was uh, a guy posted on Hacker News uh, bragging about how he has 10 jobs. He wrote, I currently have 10 fully remote engineering jobs. The bar is so low Oversight is non-existent, and everyone is so forgiving for underperformance, I can coast about four to eight weeks before a given job fires me. Currently on a $1.5 million run rate for compensation this year, and the interviewing process is so much faster today, companies are desperate. It takes me two to three hours of total effort to land a new job with thousands to choose from. That guy's not working 10 jobs. He's lying to 10 people. He's saying the bar is low, oversight's non-existent, I can underperform as much as I want to, I'll get fired, whatever, I've got nine other jobs. And that, that seems crazy, it seems very dishonest. Like if you were actually working 10 jobs and working hard, then that might be acceptable. But, but this guy is, is actually just lying, he's pretending to work 10 jobs. He's actually working zero, and that's, friends, is how crazy it is to claim to serve God, but actually living to serve money. That's how crazy it is. You cannot have two top priorities. And the thing is, we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves, well, if I just had a little bit more money, then I would be generous. If I just had a little bit more money, then I'll be kind. If I just had a little bit more money, then I can stop serving money and start serving God. But the, 
the twisted reality is our hearts are so dark and broken that the more money we have, the more money we want, the more money we think we need. So friends, learn to treasure God who is worth more than all of the material things you could ever collect for yourselves on this life. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Friends, don't love money. How do you not love money? You give it away. You don't hoard money. And the only way that you're able to do that if you really don't serve money because you love God more and you serve God with all of your heart. So how practically can you fight the love of money? The first step is to give it away. Have you ever noticed that generosity is one of the best cures for selfishness? I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's one of the reasons that he, he doesn't just say a good eye, but a healthy eye or a whole eye. Generosity can often be one of the best cures for selfishness. And God promises that when you give generously, he promises to meet your needs. Like in Philippians chapter 4, the apostle Paul wrote, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And another way that you can practically fight the love of money is to thank God for everything. If you discipline yourself to thank God for everything, you'll be more inclined to love the giver rather than the gift. You'll remember that your treasure is not this little thing that you have in front of you, but the God who gave it to you. Not this little thing that moth and rust will destroy and that thieves will break in and steal, but a greater treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves will never break in and steal. Thank God for everything, and you'll be more inclined to love the giver than the gift. But also, if you discipline yourself to thank God for everything, you'll be less inclined to worry because you know that you have a father who is rich in mercy. And that's where Jesus goes next. Point number two, don't worry about material things. We don't need to worry about material things because our God cares. The true disciple treasures God, not material things. And if you don't treasure God, if you do treasure material things, you will always worry about them because they are out of your control. And sure, you might think, well, no, money's not out of my control. I can work really hard. I could get a, I could get a second job. I could get three jobs. I could get 10 jobs like that guy if I wanted to. You have the illusion of control over your money, but the, the Lord could strike you right now and remove all of your ability to work. Even your ability to work is a gift from a God who is kind. If you live for material things, you will always worry about them because they are always out of your control. If you live for sunny days and nice weather, you're going to feel really anxious because the weather is out of your control and the rain will come and the Lord gives it. And if you live for money, you will always worry because it's out of your control. But it's in the control of the God who created and owns the material world. And so Jesus goes on and he gives two examples of things that we worry about. And he explains why you don't need to worry, friends. 
Verse 25, therefore I tell you, Jesus says, so therefore this follows from what he just said, all this instruction about how we relate to money and how we relate to material things. And Jesus says, therefore I tell you, so he's following up from that. He's giving the logical conclusion to all that we've just talked about. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Example number one, what you will eat or what you will drink. And then example number two, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That, that last phrase has always been so interesting to me. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Because, you know, if we stopped eating and stopped clothing ourselves, then we would die. So it's really tempting and really easy to believe that, no, life is not more than food, and the body is not more than clothing because we need these things. And Jesus is not saying that you don't need those things. He's saying that you're more than those things. When you live for material things, you are believing the lie that you are purely a material being. Do you see what he's saying there? It's pretty radical. He's saying that worry is dehumanizing. And that's why many of us, when we feel anxious, our feelings of anxiety are quickly accompanied with guilt. Because we're treating ourselves like less than a human. We're living as if we're just this sack of goo that needs feedings and dressings. But you are not merely a list of physical needs that need to be met as naturalism would have you to believe. No, Jesus is giving you an alternative. He's saying you're more than that. You are not your natural needs alone. You were created for more. You are more than that. But he's also saying that you're worth more than that. You're worth more than that. Because the God who created you will not neglect to care for you. You are more than your physical needs, and you are worth more than your physical needs. Sometimes we worry because we trust in ourselves too much. We think that we could take care of everything, and we'll always disappoint ourselves. And sometimes we worry because we think too little of ourselves. We think that we just are our material needs, we forget that we are created by the God who owns all things. And sometimes we worry because we forget that the God who owns all things didn't just make us and now he's just like leaving us like, good luck, guys. Hope you don't mess it all up again. He says, you're worth more than that. I care for you. So hear this good news, friends. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, if you were to sow and reap and then gather the fruit into a barn, you would be saving up for a rainy day. You'd be saving up for the time when the grain's not coming in. Birds don't do that. 
They've never planned a day in their life. I think it's kind of like a savings account or an emergency fund. We put things away just in case we don't have anything coming in in the future. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do, that you shouldn't have a savings account, but I am saying that birds don't have a savings account. And so why worry about the size of your emergency fund when God is so good? He feeds the birds who have never planned a day in their lives. You can trust him to feed you. You can trust him to take care of you. And then he goes on, verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Anxiety and worry will never help you. It will never lead to life, but it can lead to sin. We worry that we can't be happy unless we take matters into our own hands. And so we sin. Worry and anxiety doesn't give life like it promises. It steals life. Worry cannot help you, but God can, and he, he will. He's not just a powerful God who is able to help you. He's a good God who wants to help you, who will help you. You can depend on him because, friends, you're more than that. A savings account could never uphold the weight of your soul. No, no matter how much grain you gather into that barn, it could never uphold the weight of your soul, which, as a side note, that's why it will never be big enough in your eyes. Because you were made for more than that. You're more than that. But he also says you're worth more than that. God cares for the birds. Of course he's going to care for you. Of course he's going to care for you. And I, I don't want you to hear this, friends. Those of you that struggle with worry, I don't want you to hear this as, as a dismissal. God doesn't say, guys, just get over it. It's just food. Like, deal with it. There's birds, whatever. He's saying, I know that this is real. You know what else is real? Birds. You can see them as a tangible reminder, not of the smallness of your problems, but of the bigness of your God. That's how we fight worry, friends. Not by dismissing our problems, saying hey, it's not a big deal, but by seeing the bigness of our God. The God who is able to care for you. The God who created all things. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You can trust him. He is faithful. He is kind. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He feeds the birds and he will feed you. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he gives another example in verse 28 and following. Why are you anxious about food when I feed the birds? Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Solomon, as a side note, was one of the greatest kings in the history of the world. He was the third king of Israel, and the Lord blessed him with riches beyond comparison. And there's literally stories from the Bible of foreign dignitaries flocking to Israel just to catch a glimpse of Solomon and all of his splendor and all of his greatness and all of his wisdom and all of his riches and all of his chariots and all of his great mighty army. He was amazing. He was stunning. And Jesus says, not even Solomon was arrayed like one of these flowers. But, Jesus says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We spend hours every week worrying about our appearance, about beautifying ourselves so that we would feel confident in front of others, so that we would be approved and accepted by others. And guys, this is not just something that the ladies do. This is something that we do too. We worry about what we look like and what people will think about us. We spend hours every week doing that. Flowers don't. Every day the sun comes up and the flowers are stunning. And if they could talk, they would say, woke up like this. Woke up like this. Flowers don't worry about that. And again, notice here, Jesus is not saying that the material world is bad. Jesus is not saying that beauty is bad. Jesus is not saying it's sinful for you to look at clothes or to care about what your beard looks like or what your hair looks like. God cares about those things. And he doesn't promise like, okay, you're not going to be cold. He says that he clothes the grass of the field and he will much more clothe you. You're more than that, friends. A flower is going to die. It's going to be cast into the fire. It's going to be fuel. But not you. You will last forever. Verse 30, the grass of the field today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Not you. You will last forever. You're more than that. And you're worth more than that. God cares for these fragile little flowers. Of course he's going to care for you. Of course he's going to care for you. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus is saying the Gentiles, the people outside of Israel, the people outside of the covenant family of God, the people that don't know the God who created and owns all things, sure, they worry about everything. But you have one thing that they don't have. The God who created everything. He is yours. You don't have to worry like the Gentiles do. Because your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Friends, do you see the kindness of our God? cares about you. He is not just high and mighty, lofty, thinking yeah, they can figure it out on their own. He cares about you. He's seeing you and saying, they're worried about this thing. I want to provide it for them. So God is not berating you today saying, why are you worrying, you little puny fool? He's loving you. He's saying, you don't need to worry, my beautiful little child. I'm going to provide the material things which God owns and is kind to provide cannot sustain you or satisfy you. 
but God can. So don't worry about those material things. So how do we practically fight worry? Number one, we trust that God really will provide. So when you're feeling anxious about money, what is it that calms you down? Is it opening up the bank app and seeing, oh, it's not really that bad? Or is it remembering that the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want? If you're worried about money, maybe a great place to start could be memorizing this passage from Matthew chapter 6 or memorizing Psalm 23. And instead of rushing to your bank app, you could spend a minute to remember that God has promised to provide for you because he's kind. See, this is all rooted in his character. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. So trust that God will really provide. And that means that you don't get to run to other things to comfort you. You trust that God really will provide. And number two, you don't live for yourself. So studies show that one of the best ways to deal with anxiety is not by protecting yourself, but by giving yourself. Again, this is radically counterintuitive. And all that we're seeing in psychology, catching up with Jesus, who said the only way to live is to lay your life down. And the first will be last, and the last will be first. Follow me, take up your cross. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't live for yourself, but instead, give yourself to the God who made it all. The antidote for the love of material things, the antidote for worry about material things is to center your life on pursuing God and pursuing his glory. So verse 33, after this long teaching about anxiety and about worry and about the love of money, Jesus says, but, in verse 33, he's showing something different. He's showing an alternative to anxiety and an alternative to the love of money. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make the advancement of God's glory your top priority. And friends, you cannot have two top priorities. So make God's kingdom your chief goal. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make it the lens through which you see everything. So for instance, if you're thinking about moving... Instead of thinking, well, where could I have the most fun? Or where would I be most comfortable? Or, or where would I like to live? Make, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make that the lens through which you see everything. And instead, ask yourself the question, instead of where could I be comfortable, ask, where could I glorify God? Where could I make Jesus known? Let that be the lens through which you see everything. When you're making your budget, don't, think, well, oh man, I've got all this disposable income. What am I going to spend it on for myself? Think, what am I going to give it for, for the good of others and the glory of God? Seek first the kingdom of God in your location. Seek first the kingdom of God in your budget. Seek first the kingdom of God in your calendar. Are you willing to give yourself, to share Christ, to know Jesus, 
and to make him known. And friends, you can't neglect that. You can't neglect knowing Jesus. Oh, but how often is that just an afterthought in our calendars? We squeeze it in if we have time to spend time with the Lord, to study his word, to pray. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. He promises it. He promises he will provide for you. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. And so Jesus just wraps all of this teaching up with a bow, telling you don't worry about the maybes of tomorrow when you have today right in front of you. Because the God who created all things is the God of tomorrow. The author of the Hebrews wrote that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. He, he, he will not stop taking care of the birds and clothing the lilies tomorrow. He will not stop taking care of you. He will not go back on his promises. So friends, know that there is a God who cares. And he does not dismiss your worries as if they're too small for his concern. He cares. He cares. And how can you know that he cares? You want some rock-solid evidence. He has not just said that he loves you. He has shown that he loves you in the gift of his son. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up now. And friends, I just want to encourage you with that truth, with that reality, that God has not just said that he cares. He has shown that he cares in the gift of his son. And because God gave his son for us, we can have life in his name. We can have life in his name. Because when Jesus died, he died the death that we deserve to die for our sin. All of the punishment that we've earned was poured out onto him as a kindness of God to protect you and care for you and save you from his wrath. That's God's kindness to you, friends. That Jesus died in your place. And then what happened? Jesus rose from the dead, and he's still alive today. And he's still being kind to you today. Because after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And today, he is interceding for you. He is advocating for you on your behalf before the Father. He is kind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is kind today. He was kind yesterday when he died on the cross. He was kind yesterday when he rose from the dead. He's kind today, interceding for you on behalf of the, before the Father. He is kind to you forever. He will bring you home, friends. You don't need to worry. You don't need to worry because our God is kind. He does not dismiss your worries. He sees them. He understands them better than anyone else could. And he promises to care for you. So friends, don't live at odds with this great God who is so kind. Come to him today. He will never cast you away. If you trust in Christ, he will never cast you away away. And if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, then please come and find me or anyone around you 
before you leave here today, and we'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Christ, what it looks like to follow Christ. And we'd love to help you along that path. Our God is kind, and the true disciple treasures God, not material things, because we know that we can trust him forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for being so kind to us, for being so merciful to us. You're the God who owns all of the birds and all of the lilies. You have no need of us, and yet you care for us. You really do. You care for us. Oh, so God, I pray that you would set us free from worry. I pray that you would free us to trust in you and that in trusting you, we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and that you would be glorified by our lives. It's for your name we pray. Amen.